Hello, and welcome back to Art Smack. I'm your host, Jerry Gagosian, accompanied with the ever-handsome Matthew Capasso. Hey, everybody. And this is episode... Nine. Nine. Oh, my God. That's a very spiritual number I just learned from my massage therapist. So this is going to be a very spiritual episode. We have a lot of great topics on deck for you. Oh, my God. I think my cat just destroyed a sculpture, and he's looking <laughs> at me like he could give two. Oh, my shit. God. So he did. He really just did. Oh, my God. Okay, wait. <laughs> Let's get to the intro first. On this episode of Art Smack, we are going to answer a question from the audience. And by the way, we're also going to let you know how you can get in touch with us because we want to start answering more of your questions. We're going to talk about some drama that's going on at the company Masterworks. And then we're going to wrap up with, I think, the thing that's on everybody's mind, which is Kusama. Kusama. So stick around. Welcome back to Art Smack. We missed you. Now for a section that I like to call Nisna Questions. What is this voice? This is like a very nice lady at your local PBS channel <laughs> who does story time for all the young, bright, brilliant-minded children. And Or maybe it's Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I was going to say you sound like Robin Williams. Okay. Cross-dressing. Well, now <laughs> I want to do a different accent for... What's this section called? This segment called? This is called... Listen a question. All right. So this is a question that someone sent in through our email. This is a question. So by the way, guys, if you ever have if you ever have like a burning question, just feel free to reach out to us at Hello Jerry. Or we have a ArtSmack podcast dedicated oh, yeah. email what is address. That? What is it? Yeah. So this is the best way to do it, right? Because yeah. Jerry, you can ask Jerry questions about the IG. But on the podcast, if you want to submit questions, which we'd love to hear, it's hello at artsmackpodcast.com. Oh, that's pretty easy. Yeah, so we'll put it, we'll link it in the description of the show. Yeah. You know, flood that with questions, topics you want us to cover. We're happy to go through them. And No, no pee-pee picks, please. Please. I got, do you know that I got four pee-pee picks this week? Are you serious? Yes. Oh. You really, you know you really made it when the DPs start coming in, you know? You know you've reached a certain level. No, no, no. You know, I knew I made it today because you know, you know what message I got in my box? That I won't go like full full into. You know that you've made it somewhere when a DM starts out with the following phrase, and I quote, Yo, bitch, you need to chill the fuck out. Hell yeah. I was like, okay. I mean, actually, if anybody does need to be told to chill out it is probably me but like the yo bitch is usually not the instigator for chilling me the fuck out well but anyways, all right so anyways wait this i is just the... want to say one more time no dick pics don't start sentences with yo bitch but email us at hello at artsmacpodcast.com we will check it <laughs> with any questions or topics you want and no. because we are so intelligent and nishant when it comes to the art world, we will have the absolute correct answer for you. But let's test that theory out. What question do you got this okay. week and who's it coming from? Dear. Do oh, please just, we've done I want to do a voice. No, do, read it. 
dear chariot man. Loving the podcast and would like to hear your thoughts on this. Does every artist have to have a highly intellectual art babble press release and reason as to why they're doing what they're doing? Or can an artist just say, paint a pretty picture just because they like to say, paint a pretty picture? seems that the art world frowns upon those simple artists. But look at Hockney at one end and Hilary Peches on Peches, the Peches, by the way. Peches. On the end. Pes- Pe- Peches? Peches. At the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> Their art fills me with joy. And as far as I know, there is often no deeper meaning in which it is Fine by me. All right. So is that the question? Love from London, Annie. So we know Annie from London doesn't Shout out Annie that. in London. So I'll summarize the, the question. So art speak. It goes back to one of the first things we covered on the show in episode one, which is like, do artists really have to have these flowy, ridiculous press releases surrounding their work? Or can they just speak to saying, hey, I like to paint pretty pictures that make you happy? And to that... You know, I'll kick it off to you. You're the expert. What do you think? Wait, no. Cheater, pumpkin eater. I... You're like, let me start this off. Let me kick this <laughs> off to you. No. Look, we've been off for two weeks. I'm a little rusty. Give me a break. So the answer to your question is, of course, they don't have to have flowy press releases. And honestly, I think art, more artists should start to reject that, truthfully. And yeah. they should be more hands-on when it comes to how their work is being described. And don't leave it to some assistant somewhere that, that was trained to write like this or a gallery that just feels compelled to regurgitate some of these words. It's it's comic at this point, some of the adjectives and adverbs and comparisons and phrases that are continually shared, used across all of these things. I mean, we poked fun of it the first episode we did of here, and we could do a segment each week about ridiculous bullshit that we read from press releases that are entering our inboxes. We were just watching, what's the movie called? The Square? Mm-hmm. I had never seen it. 2017, it's like a Swedish film about a museum director. And the opening scene, a reporter is interviewing this museum director and she is calling him out for his press release about his latest exhibition that they helped put on. And this guy's going through an existential crisis and he's listening to her read back his words and it's using language like the comparison between two existential crisis points fragmented oh across- God. Different Ooh. attitudes about conjecture across like human beings a on and the, the sofa. soul. You were like so uncomfortable. <laughs> I couldn't listen to it. And he, in the movie, is so self-aware of his bullshit that he's like, nah, next question. I don't know how to say. And yeah. that was in 2017. And it's only gotten worse since. So yeah. that would be the answer to my question, Annie, is that I'm sick of it. Most people are sick of reading that stuff. And I think it's long due for artists to be comfortable to say, you know, this work is meant, or this work is about, you know, my fear about this. And these are works that are describing that. Yeah. Know? It doesn't have to be an exploration into the depths of the soul underneath of upon which I could go on for days. So here's my answer. This is, this is the truth. I'm going to drop a truth bomb, truth bomb on you for all you people out there. In all honesty, 99.9% of most artists don't have business speaking about their art. They don't. 
They should just make their art. They should make their art. Unless their art is speaking. My art is speaking. My art is writing. Then I have a different... My responsibility, therefore, is different. But if I was a painter... My job is not to speak about my painting or write about my painting. And I think that in this attempt to professionalize the art world in a rush, people have like done this instead of important things, let's actually teach you how to like make money and pay your taxes and do stuff like that. It's kind of like public school education where it's let's teach you things that like don't matter at all. Yeah. Like art speak. Like let's trigonometry. Let's teach you art speak, something that literally doesn't mean jack shit when it comes to whether or not you're going to be a good artist. And honestly, I don't think that a good artist necessarily needs to be articulate about their work, nor do they have an obligation to speak about it. And also, no offense to my artist audience listening, you guys aren't always like the best at talking about your work. Sometimes your work is just amazing as it is. Cool if you want to tell me about your process Cool if you want to tell me about very loose, general, like, I drew inspiration from this or this came from, like, a moment of this or blah, blah, blah. But flower, flowery language where you're using, like, polysyllabic language that is, like, just proof that you once took the SATs is so unnecessary when it comes to what it means to actually be an artist. Yeah. And if I were a painter or a sculptor, well, I am a sculptor actually, but if I were a painter, which is, you know, the number one medium right now, the most popular one, I would straight up put a moratorium on writing. I'd be like, no, I no, no, thank you. I don't write. No, I don't write about my I don't write about it. And I'm not going to. And you're as a gallery, you're not allowed to either. Like, why? No one reads that anyway. No one reads that. If anything, do a TikTok like <laughs> 30 second interview with me because that's the attention span of a contemporary audience. But and that's, da- dancing to Ariana Grande yeah, song. That's yeah. really all anybody wants <laughs> to know anyway about the work, period. Nobody wants to know anything else. Nobody wants to know like the deep seated core. Like, no, nobody wants to know. I think if I may, just I, I do like to hear about what's going on, what informed the work, what ideas are being explored. Because sometimes it, it would, it's, I could always form my own opinion, but learning really from the artist's mouth to me can enrich the work, the experience. But let me just finish and then mm-hmm. please. I, what I want is direct, straightforward, basic 
sure easy ideas to communicate that aren't window dressed with language that's unnecessary. Like I think if I saw the work by Felix Gonzalez Torres, right? I saw the work, the beautiful works, which I love, the candies, you know, stacked mm. in the gallery. Mm. And I wasn't familiar with the work that he had done at all and didn't know anything about it. And I saw that in the gallery and I had no context. I don't even know how I would react to it. But the simple ideas that he was communicating about, you know, lost loved ones, I don't need that to be brushed in some crazy, you know, flourish of words written by someone with, you know, an MFA in artsby. Mm-hmm. The simple idea about this is a work about, you know, tragedy in this artist's life and a depiction of it in this mm-hmm. physical form to me is beautiful enough. You know, it could stop mm-hmm. there. At least is the communication to me. Mm-hmm. So I would say more straightforward, intentional speak around your work to me, I think would be welcome. Yeah, I I agree with, I will not disagree with that. One other thing I'm going to say, and then we can leave it unless my next monologue really inspires something <laughs> to come from you, which is that, you know, life, if we are lucky, is long. And... It is also filled with many long, hard lessons yet to be determined in a young 22, 23, 24-year-old's life and brain yet. It is very rare and very uncommon for there to be a wisdom Einstein who also happens to be like Leonardo da Vinci, right? Many times you are born with a a talent and then it takes years to hone that talent into something that is more than just a born talent, into like an amazing skill that puts you at the level of genius. And then while you're going through that, you go through this other process that's incredibly painful called being alive and living all those psycho lessons that we go through. And it is usually not until midlife or later that we actually have something really in-depth or truly insightful to say about what our work is about. And what I mean by that is, you know, for example, last the last couple of weeks, I went through major loss with a friend. And when I received the phone call that I'd lost my friend, I did not have this immediate response of asking this person a bunch of really intelligent questions about who, what, when, where, why. I did not have anything to say. My mouth dried up. I said, thank you for the phone call. And I hung up the phone and I was silent for about 
five to seven minutes until I walk downstairs and try to tell you Rebecca died. And that's all I could say. There was zero wisdom because there was no moment, no time for introspection. Mm -hmm. And even now, one, three weeks in, three and a half weeks into this, the introspection is only just beginning. And well, because of the terms under which I lost my friend, I don't think I will learn this lesson and understand this and then in turn, turn this into something called art or put the this towards something that I eventually call art for a very long time. And because we live in this period where young people are being told to professionalize and be artists super young and come up with this faux, poetic, wise language about an a God-given talent that they had that they haven't even had time to actually develop. And then add on top of that, fake wisdom is a fool's errand. It takes decades. It yeah. takes so long. No, I think that's really well said. I do. And I agree with you. I'm sure I'm going to piss a lot of people off because I know, you know, Especially like I, I saw this, I still, I believe, have her as a friend. She lives in Italy, though, so I don't see her anymore, Melanie. And we used to talk about everything in life. And our favorite reminder to each other at all times was feelings are not facts. But we, you know, we would, we're, we're both artists. We're both very sensitive. And we would be like going through life and interpreting like every single moment of our lives as if this is it and this is reality as if like time and further lived experience and other relationships and other kinds of setbacks and then other successes and all these other things aren't what actually propel us towards being like these more holistic versions of artists instead of these children that are like coming out and being like, I'm an artist, give me a solo show and these paintings are worth $80,000 and let me tell you what they're about and it's baby child. As far as we know right now, they're just pretty pictures and they're not about anything yet. Suffer first. How familiar are you with Masterworks, the big billion-dollar technology company in the art space? Probably actually one of the only billion-dollar art companies that's ever been created. Maybe Sotheby's might have reached it at some point. I truly cannot think of another one. So how much do you know about them? Is it really a billion-dollar company or is it evaluated at a billion dollars. I am certain it is the latter because <laughs> I can't imagine that they I like are, that new differentiation. I can't imagine that they're generating 
cash that's equivalent to anything. But then again, that's how the venture Actually, markets- I know quite a bit about it. Well, educate the audience on what Masterworks is if they have not been familiarized with it before. Masterworks is a company that purports to fractionalize ownership of fine art objects, including paintings and sculptures. So for example, you too can become an owner in 0.0002% of a Picasso, for example, or George Kondo, or a, a- Banksy. What? A Banksy. A Banksy, or a Giacometti, or whatever. I know that they've been buying a lot of things at auction, and I know that they have been trying, or not trying, well, yeah, I know that they have been advertising like a motherfucker. That's a big thing. Their advertising has been everywhere. I've been spammed with their advertisement on my Instagram account. I probably check my LinkedIn three times a year. I don't even know why I check my LinkedIn, but just like sometimes out of vanity, I'm like, (laughs) I want to see who looked at my profile. And every time I go on LinkedIn, like I see a Masterworks advertisement. I would add that you're you're correct. LinkedIn, they're all over. Okay, so I'm not crazy. They've blanketed it. I've seen it in Instagram stories as I'm scrolling through mindlessly, Uh just looking at my friend's stories. It'll just be inserted with a a Masterworks ad. Cross the web. You know those banners that don't appear on like a newyorktimes.com or wherever you're getting your news or wherever you're scrolling through? They're buying real estate. Affiliate marketing. They're buying, yeah, they're doing tons of affiliate marketing. So there's a site that's, I think everyone's familiar with, but I don't think people give it the credit it's due for being a a highly trafficked website, (laughs) which is quora.com. Have you ever Googled like, why is my cat looking at me funny? Like, oh, or, I'm sure I you have. Cora. I know about Quora. Why does my cat purr so loudly? <laughs> <laughs> they are all over Quora. So if you're scrolling through the answers to the question you have on Quora, you always see one of these ads and it's, and it's usually mm-hmm. centered around, where should I put my money this year? What's been the best performing asset of the last yeah. 10 years? And if you peel under the surface and they have a bunch of writers that post questions that are clearly advertisements for Masterworks. Mm-hmm. It's, I went on a deep dive with it once. So, But wait, I want to say one other thing. Yeah. So I have like my own personal story with Masterworks, which is that like a year ago, I had, I feel sorry in hindsight, sometimes I'm such a bitch. I had this very doe-eyed, very junior person at the company, DM Jerry, and ask me, if I would consider marketing with them. Like a brand deal, advertising thing? Well, you know, you can. I'm happy to set you up and you can have a meeting between like my people and I'll be, and I can be on the call and, you know, we'd listen to your pitch and we could consider it and like the kid like kind of panicked and I was like wait why is he freaking out and so I start asking I'm like very good even in like text you know like you could some people can read like body language very well or like tone very well I can read like panic even in like the way a person texts and the text messages. I'm like why is this person like texting in like a panicked way you got some OG 
deep internet. Yeah, it's called intuition. Intuition, actually. yeah. It's like an ancient thing. But I was like, why is he freaking out? So I was like, what's going on? He's, well, to be honest with you, it's just really like you, you would just like post like one of our things. It would just be for like $500. And I was like, oh. And then I started like laughing. Ha, 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 ha. And I said, it's really okay if you don't. But do you know who I am? And he goes, honestly, no. Like, you're just on this list that I was, like, supposed to reach out to. And I said, okay, that's fine. And I said, do you know about anything that I, like, stand for when it comes to, like, artists or the the art market or, like, how I feel about, like, how the art market should function and, like, transparency and, like, artist resale royalty rights and like all these different things and he was like no of course not like, I don't know I don't know who you are and I was like again like 90 like ha ha <laughs> and he was like wait stop like then we start joking you know he's like, wait stop like laughing at me and I go hey like we don't have to have a meeting. Like, it's okay. It's never going to happen. You I was like, just tell your boss, cross me off the list. <laughs> like, you tried and I said no. Like, it's okay. And he was like, okay, cool. So no problem there. A month goes by. Chad probably left Masters. Chad. <laughs> right? And now Josh is in Chad's position and inherits the same list, right? And I'm like, I'm getting, the. it's a script, like mm -hmm. the same exact script. And at this point, I'm playing with him because I know, like, I know exactly what he's going to say. You so know the game. You're... I'm like playing, and I'm like, whoa, do you think you could get me like 500 bucks? Like playing with him back and forth. <laughs> and, and then like this like guy doesn't get it and and then i like just i went like nuclear on him i was like listen i was like do yourself a favor google your leads before you dm them i'm diametrically opposed to your company i think it's a piece of shit and you guys and i like went off and was like, don't ever contact me again or i'll report you as abuse and spam to Instagram. This is so this is so violating. I've already asked you guys not to contact me before once again. And once again the kids, "Oh my god, ma'am, getting called ma'am in a DM is like very like offensive to me age-wise cuz I'm like, okay, like <laughs> cuz you're like 24, I'm, 30, I'm like 37, <laughs> but come on. Ma'am, I am like so sorry. I just got this list and was like told and I was like, "Take me off the fucking list." So it's funny you bring up that example cuz I think it's actually a perfect lead-in into why we wanted to bring up Masterworks today in the first place. So on December 27th, the reporter at Art News Angelica Vila posted this expose that exposed some real issues going on at Masterworks. The article is titled, Rising Startup Masterworks Beset by Internal Rifts, Alleged Recklessness, and Staff Cuts. And one of the things she talks about a lot in this article is the sales techniques and practice that mm -hmm. the staff members at Masterworks are being forced to go out and pitch to, I guess, not just to investors or people to actually use the product, but to talent or marketing kind of things. The way that they're selling is just not right. 
and I'll, I'll read some of the other things that have come up here, but I actually tweeted uh, a little summary of what's going on. So I'll use that to kind of structure this. So first off, like Masterworks, I don't know if they were the first, but there certainly haven't been the last of these companies. I mean, dozens have literally started to look at art fractionalization. And it's always around this idea of we're going to democratize and provide transparency in the art world. It's yeah. Are you transparent even? Like, how, are you leading the way with your transparency? So the thing is that they've raised like hundreds of millions of dollars from venture capital. And let me, I'm going to read some of the, the companies and let's see if you've heard of them. So obviously there's Masterworks. Mm -hmm. There's something called Particle. Have you heard of Particle? No. That's uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Loic Gauzer. Oh, yeah, he used to yeah. run Christie's. He set that one up. Mecenas. Oh, so wait, par Particle is one of the- Yeah, founding. it's another fractionalizing company. Oh, oh okay, 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 okay. But he uses NFTs. That's like a whole other okay, kind of different it. model. But uh -huh. Mecenas, <laughs> Look Lateral, Art Square, Malevich, Artopoly, that's my favorite name, Artopoly. Mm -hmm. And then there was another one that just posted, I just did a ad buy in an Arnet called Art Trade. So I, I tweeted this as well, and I think people should heed my advice. Stop putting art in the name of your tech art startup, please. Yeah. We're, we're sick of it. We've seen all of it enough. Well, one thing that is interesting to me is you're telling me this article just came out, right? It came out on December 27th. Okay. But I don't know if it's, I don't think it's like that much of news. Like for some reason, I already knew about this. I already knew. Like, I think I, I'd heard. I still have a hipster like hangover, like from 2004, because I'm pretty sure that w wasn't there some article or something that tipped off this whole thing back in July because I remember this because it was when we still lived in Brooklyn and I was on my rock remember and I <laughs> was reading it was this whole thing on Glassdoor oh yeah where everybody that worked for Masterworks was have was like going nuclear meltdown on Glassdoor about how they were like making them work like really crazy hours they were giving them like unattainable sales goals and then making their payment or like partial payment of their salary related to them achieving these sales goals which that were unachievable were like yeah completely unachievable there was a lot of it was like rife with a lot of like open like sexism there was like all this stuff and it was like the banking like the stuff on your banking hbo show what was that show called oh industry you're thinking about the show industry okay, yeah, yeah. it kind of reminded me a little bit of that show industry even like episode one because i remember that there were some people on Glassdoor saying I would like sleep at the office like I was scared to go home because they were and also that it was a little bit like not Wolf of Wall Street but what is it Moneyball or something? oh I know like, like all these movies were like you have to call and convince people to like boiler room it's boiler like a boiler room, room yeah like bucket shop it's these like very like hockey like trying to sell you yeah. things. And everybody that worked for Masterworks on Glassdoor, for some reason, I don't know why this website happened to be the chosen one. <laughs> this was like in July. Right. 
Well, Glassdoor is, allows employees to give reviews to their employer. Yeah. Typically, either when they're working anonymously or even afterwards when they've left and they can give more honest so results. Wait, so what precipitated this like additional expose to come I, out? So from the article, it seems that a couple of you know, key interviews with current and former employees that went to the press to talk about this. Mm-hmm. So, it's, so it's a little bit of a whistleblowing situation. So some former employees, I'll read from my Twitter thread, it's, view the company's employee incentive structures and selling tactics as ethically questionable and potentially, this is the key thing, violating the SEC and what's called FINRA, which is another regulatory body within the financial markets. So potentially violating those rules and regulations. So I won't read into the detail of like how they are, but some other interesting points. Like the company's sale team used high pressure tactics, making multiple daily calls to prospective investors. I put that in quote and using scripts that their former employees viewed as misleading. One of the other interesting things that the Art News reporter talked about was there is a a host of people at Masterworks that came from the art world, particularly in senior positions at auction houses, Mm -hmm. that they really understand the objects. Mm -hmm. But Masterworks, their strategy with hiring, from what I understood, was to go to Wall Street and grab Finance dudes. Yeah, like young kids. Like brokers, like, people who sell stocks and bonds and mm-hmm. things in investment banks and bring them over to basically sell these shares of Picassos or whatever, which are effectively like stocks. And those kids were never trained on the art, couldn't speak to it at all, and were extremely frustrated. The senior people like wouldn't help them understand how to sell that thing, but kept hammering them to stick to the finances of it. Mm-hmm. Just treat it like a market thing and just push the returns that they can make. And mm-hmm. where I think what they found was that some of the investors actually, they actually cared about the art a little more than what these guys let on. And they so, would use these false things. The art market is this, and this artist returns this much. Dude, the art market is so illiquid. And we only know 50% of really what goes on. I tweeted about this again this week because we only look at auction prices. We don't know what's going on really in private galleries. To say that you have an understanding of like returns on an artist thing, yeah, you might be able to pick trends, but you can't pinpoint the returns on some of these artists because so much of the market is dark. We just don't understand. Right. And again, okay, so what's like the, I'm asking you this literally and rhetorically and i'm asking myself this too like what is the like bigger picture here because i mean we can we always kind of end up and i don't want to i don't want to be you know on some kind of like synaptic brain loop where i always come back to the same same thought patterns over and over again which is like this is what happens in like late stage like we need to go to bed capitalism the you sun's, know? sun's coming up like already. the sun's coming yeah. up there's no more cocaine <laughs> the booze has been drank like it's time to go to bed late stage capitalism but what like what is there to be learned or garnered like yes art is an asset art is an asset but it's not it is a special asset if our house was on fire right now Obviously, I would make sure you grabbed our cat. And then if we had a Picasso, (laughs) I'd be grabbing that Picasso, you know? And then everything else, I'd be like, and like my, maybe my passport or something. (laughs) Like everything else, I'd be like, you know? Yeah. Let it all, our bed sheets, let it all go, you know? But 
let's keep that Picasso intact. So art is like an important aspect asset and it does have like incredible financial power. I think the conclusion I'm drawing at the end of this conversation and at like my four-year mark at with Jerry Gagosian is just art is an elite rich man's game. And you can pretend to gamify it for the plebs as much <laughs> as you want. And you can do fun, cute things, make NFTs or do prints or, you know, occasionally there'll be moments in like the market where emerging contemporary art is very affordable and suddenly the plebs feel like they're a part of it. But at the end of the day, this is just such a rich man's game and it's only for the rich man. And, and or woman, you know, I, Come on. I, I mean that as, you know, I know what you mean. I mean that in the biblical crust. sense, man, yeah. you know, and and I think that's just like what I'm that's just the conclusion I'm starting to draw to all of this. Stop with this. Like, we're going to democratize art. No, you're not <laughs> because you can't like you can't democratize something that on one hand, you're going to tell me is worth hundreds of millions of dollars, if not is priceless. Like, there, I mean, I've never heard of a billion-dollar work, but I've heard of works being called priceless. So we'll go from hundreds of millions to priceless. So if, if you're telling me that there are objects that exist in this world that are Priceless. Like the Jeff Koons hands holding the balloons or, you know, the, where you put the sun dial no, in like Greece. No, like the, the Vatican. Anything oh, in, oh, the, in okay. the Vatican. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Priceless. You know, priceless. Think, you know. The Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa. Priceless. If you're going to tell me, like, on one hand, there's that, but then you're going to also, on the other hand, tell me, like, but we're, we need to democratize it. And then you're going to print, you know, 40 million Mona Lisa fridge magnet. But then you're going to say, that's kitschy shit. And that's trash. And if you like that, you are liking the less superior, lower version of the pure essence of the original object. You're basically saying there's no such thing as a democratization of art. It does not exist. I'm just running around in circles in my head with these like art school like rumors of things like democracy and art and coming to the conclusion that as sweet of an idea as it is, and as much as I would like to tell myself that these things exist, the closest thing that you will ever experience to democracy, no, democracy, freedom in art, let's just go to freedom in art, will be you and whatever you can produce as an artist or as a person, really. And I think art 
art can be democratized in this way, in the viewing of it, sharing it with others, the exhibitions. I think what we're talking about here is the collecting game and this idea of democratizing art collecting. No, but no, but it is this it is the same thing because even if sorry, politely disagree, but it's if you're 50 million Mona Lisa magnet is a fractionalized <laughs> version of owning the Mona Lisa. No one can buy the Mona Lisa, but they, you know, 50 million people in this instance can buy for $3.99 in France outside of the Louvre, €3.99, Euro, this little piece of mem memorabilia, and they own the Mona Lisa. They own that little tiny thing, right? Right. That is a piece of fractionalized ownership because these fractionalized owners in masterworks, it's not like, oh, they get to take the the Pablo Picasso that they fractionally own like home for like their weekend. It's not like those mm -mm. house, you know, like those apartments where you're like- Timeshares. Timeshares. It's not like a timeshare situation where, oh, and then it's my Sunday or it's my Saturday and Sunday of 2024 that I get to have my apartment in Orlando so I can take my kids to Disneyland. No, like this is something else. So like f with with fractionalized ownership, it's this is just, again, another model. It's like a trick. It's like a it's a game to sort of scam and skim like money off of people who fall for like words like democracy, art, democracy, art, and then also know in the back of their minds, oh, the art world, that's a rich man's game. I'm going to get in on that. And then that's- Which that's is like funny. A, that's actually Masterworks' marketing like, yeah. message. It's really, hey, these guys are doing it. That the wealthy you know where they put their money? In art. You can too. Yeah. And that's a really good stew for a bunch of idiots to go and lose their money or, you know, whatever, or these masterworks people to get richer, you know? So praise be masterworks, you know? I, I would just say good luck, guys. You know, they maybe, so if people don't know, they raised that billion dollar value we talked about at the top of the segment was a couple of years ago when, yeah, the tech market was, this was pre-recession, pre the Federal Reserve, just undercutting everything in the market. Mm -hmm. And venture capital was like, let's go. We don't go. even want to look at your numbers. Yeah, I don't give a shit. Oh, it sounds cool. Art, cool. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. Boom, write the check. And they got that billion dollar valuation and they really timed it pretty well. And now they have to see if there's a real business. I heard multiple things. So in the actual article, just to revert back to that, they had tried to pitch to museums, Masterworks, to mm -hmm. deaccession their works with Masterworks or something. And they completely fucked that up, apparently. Museums told them, like, absolutely not. Complains that they had no idea how museums operate and were pitching them to do stuff that they would never do. That's according to the report, not from me. But I heard from a couple people in the kind of investment banking world that they received a pitch from Masterworks too to potentially put clients' money into like Masterworks. Kind of like how a bank would put your money into, I don't know, 
a commodities or like a stock portfolio or a fund. It's really like a fund investment. And some of the big banks, when they heard that, they did their diligence on Masterworks and were like, oh, like we, we can't in good conscience put our clients' money into this. Like we can't. There has to be a moment where there's like a proof of concept that Masterworks, for example, either works or it doesn't and that we don't need to keep giving them billions and billions or millions and millions of dollars. I think you're... So I'm not an expert in this space and I don't pretend to be one, a capital allocator or an economist that can make these calls. I think I could get into theoretical models, like I'm going to say these words and people are going to roll their eyes, like the capital asset pricing model and expected rates of return over the risk premium and all this stuff actually factors into this conversation, but forget it. Like the core of this is that the ecosystem, the climate of venture capital, which is what's making these investments in these companies was very content on big swings, long-term, huge megalithic growth companies, and they were fine to put money into them. And markets kept rising, thus the value of those investments kept rising. And I think the ecosystem has now changed, right? It has completely swapped. And this has to do with the Federal Reserve stuff we've talked about in the past, where that coming to Jesus moment about, is this a viable business, is now here. So it does take a macro change and a backdrop to shift and all these models that these guys are operating on, the assumptions have now changed. When you can get a treasury bond that can pay you, you know, four or 5% interest return, you know, why are you going to do all this risk with these startups for a, a 10, 15, 20% return? It, there's a different calculus that you have to make there. And I think the, the ecosystem of venture capital was just very accommodating and lenient to founders for a long time. Founders had a lot of power. Trust my vision. Let me make this investment. Let me hire this staff. And I think now people are more cash flow focused where they want to see businesses actually be able to generate cash flow, which means they can pay their investors and pay them dividends and actually become a billion dollar company. Remember, they are making a, a projection when they give Masterworks a certain dollar amount and and that sheet, that term sheet says they're worth a billion dollars. It's, you know, yeah, we think you're worth a billion dollars or Masterworks thinks they're worth a billion dollars today. And I guess in some way that is what the venture capitalists agreed to, but it, there's an assumption that we think they can get there in some very short period of time. Mm -hmm. We think they can be worth a billion dollars. And I, I, I do not think if Masterworks was to re-raise now in today's market, they would be nowhere near a billion dollars because people would not think that their revenue their cash is generating enough to be worthy of that. Mm -hmm. It's just that the benchmarks have now changed. The, the the multiples have collapsed. That's like the boring answer to that. But you're no, right. No, it's not boring. It's super interesting. I think no, I think you're right. I think this is a valid question. It's at what point do we stop putting fi like fire or putting you know gasoline onto this fire that won't start or whatever, whatever the thing, fire starter kit. At a certain point, a dud's a dud. Mm -hmm. You got to pull the plug and walk mm -hmm. away. I think we got to talk about it because I think it's the number one thing going on in the art world, Ooh. at least this week from a zeitgeist perspective, which is the Kusama-Louis Vuitton collaboration. So, you know, the art world continues to be mainstream and more mainstream and global and a phenomena. <clears throat> so did you pick up a bag is my first question with the polka dots. Oh, the pumpkin polka dots. <laughs> I'm on a waiting list. 
I yeah. waited all day around this the Louis Vuitton Saks Fifth Avenue like <laughs> building thing, but I didn't make it in. I'm struggling with this one, you know? I truly am. And I want to preface this conversation, at least from my perspective, with I both simultaneously think that Kusama is a really important and a great artist, and I tremendously respect the career and everything that she's done and put together. And simultaneously at the same time, can say that it's not my cup of tea. It's not something that I would collect. The work is the work. Nothing to do with her thoughts. It's just the objects when they come out. It's, I've mm -hmm. never been attracted to them. And I hope that's not controversial. I mean, I can do both. I think we can walk and talk at the same time. So I wanted to preface that by saying, but you know, this is a weird one. I don't know how this collaboration this time around came. I mean, Kusama had worked with LVMH at least two times through my research. One in the apparel, I think in the handbag side in 2012, when Mark Jacobs was running things over there, I believe. With and then I've seen some on the wine side of LVMH's business. I've seen her do a collaboration on a bottle. With Moe Shandong. Yeah, I think that was with the Vev Cliquo, that oh, brand. Oh, Vev. She yeah. had the mm -hmm. Vev. I, my friend at business school always used to, because I used to say like, Vuv. And mm -hmm. she is Vev, Vev. So forgive me, French people, French speakers. So Kusama had worked with them for. I saw that bottle recently, actually. Did you pick it up? Did you pop it at the table? Psh, spray it all over people. It was actually pretty. <laughs> yeah, I think her aesthetic lends itself to products like this, truthfully. Do you agree with that? Yeah, some of the stuff she does. But I'm curious. I did some research. I wanted to figure out really how this project came about because Kusama's like in her almost mid 90s. She's 93, 94. Mm -hmm, 93. And turns out that, you know, one of the senior vice president at LVMH had reached out to Kusama's studio, according to Wall Street Journal. And typically, this executive thought that Kusama would say no, put this idea down. But Somehow the studio, it was said, was very excited about the project. And I think during COVID, they had worked over Zoom, allegedly, to put this thing together and the aesthetics of it and the visuals. But again, I just wanted to go back. It's just a little weird to me. She's in her 90s. I don't know. You know, do you think she really is really passionate about and gets up for a Louis Vuitton campaign at this stage in her career? Okay. Where do you want to kick off? Because I feel like you have a lot of yeah, thoughts. I have a lot. And I feel like it's best if I kind of just give you the floor and let you let the chef cook on this one, because mm -hmm. this is definitely, I think, something to explore. And let I, me just, sorry, let me just say one thing. She yeah. is 93 years old. So I just so, wanted to be very factual with that. Yeah. So much like you, I would say that her work for me is her more commonly known work which is stuff with polka dots on it or infinity rooms is very Instagram friendly, very easily recognizable and very e easy to do like brand partnerships with because it's completely inoffensive. There's no, you cannot offend anyone. Yeah with a polka dot. Does it, I know that there's a documentary about her life and I understand and I've done some reading about her life. I know that she actually had a very interesting earlier life because she, I believe, came from a wealthier Japanese family 
who objected from her being an artist. So she came to New York and got very, like, lucky because she synced up with Ava Hess, Georgia, Georgia O'Keefe, Donald, Donald Judd. All these people were in her studio. So she was in very good company. And her work back then was pretty different because it was much more radical and very sort of sexual. A lot of it was like sexual in nature and sort of the opposite of what it has become now, which is like very toothless and just eye-pleasy polka dots. It's used to be much edgier let me give an example so people know what yeah. i mean because i i feel like I, I learned this was that in like in 1968 so when she had moved to new york she presided over the happening like a performance piece homosexual wedding that was the title at the church of self-obliteration at 33 walker and performed alongside fleetwood mac country joe and the fish she opened naked painting studios in a gay social club called Kusama Omophile Company. The nudity present in Kusama's art and our protests were severely shameful for her family. And she attempted suicide at that time. Right. It was like, it was radical kind of movements in the 60s in New York. Right. It's not very you know, culturally appropriate for what she was doing. And then from what I understand, and again, I don't, I didn't read like in-depth biographies, is that she kind of, had to live her life both ways, which was she did end up going into a mental health facility for the rest of her life. However, it was across the street from her art studio. And so she sort of had the privilege of coming and going every single day to continue having this art practice. However, the art practice changed dramatically, obviously, in tone. And, you know, that kind of work was not acceptable that she'd been making in New York, was not acceptable in Japan. And all of a sudden, you know, these polka dots... And this, you know, obsession with, you know, peering into infinity appears in her work and basically becomes this aesthetic that she becomes so well known for. And that's fine. That, again, doesn't bother me. Sure. Nothing bothers me about brand collaborations with artists. Like, over the last couple of days, I've had a lot of people trying to insult me by saying I'm naive and idiotic because, you know, it's fine for an artist to make money and like brand collaborations are like just another way for an artist to make money and to be patronized. And no shit, Sherlock, I have brand collaborations and I work with brands. So I would never be a hypocrite and say that brand collaborations are bad. They no, are not. Course, I think they can be done so well and, and in a great way. And What tipped me off that this was not right a couple days ago was, first of all, when I noticed the scale of this campaign, I was like, this is very big. 
for an artist who is 93 years old. And I started looking at the initial images for the campaign. And I thought, that's interesting because that's not a 93-year-old woman in the photo who's handing the Louis Vuitton pumpkin to the white model who's wearing the polka-dotted jacket that, you know, Kusama helped design. So immediately I was like, that's weird. Okay, is it Photoshop or is that like a a robot or like what's going on? And then it starts coming out that all these Louis Vuitton stores around the world did in fact install these robot yeah they're really bizarre you posted it on your story that are painting on the windows of these storefronts making these kusama polka dots and they look like kusama but kusama 25 30 years ago as we would like to remember her in our in our mind And then I sort of started getting a little more concerned because I started thinking, okay, well, she's 93. This is a massive global campaign. We can't seem to find any quote on the internet from Kusama herself about this campaign. She had given a quote. Back when she did the Jake Mark Jacobs thing in 2012, right, and it was like he sees the same the art the same way as me or something. I, I was looking at the press releases. I, you know, but we'll, for we'll, this we'll like double thing. check. But yeah, I haven't seen her come out about this truthfully. And even in the Wall Street Journal article, the it was posited that it was interesting the way they phrased it was the studio was very excited by this project. The studio was excited. May I say, because I do think it's in fairness, is that she has had an interest in fashion you know, for decades. Mm-hmm. So her interest in fashion, like in 68, she started a company called Kusama Fashion Company and was selling things at Bloomingdale. So this has been something that she had been doing a long time, you know, in her younger years. Right. So I just, I do want to put that out there for to be, you know, for fairness. So then, okay. So then the robots that are painting the dots, that starts concerning me. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, feeling a little weird about that. And then I start digging a little deeper and I noticed that recently she'd had a major made-for-Instagram solo exhibition at a museum in Hong Kong called M+. And it was like, this is the black and white polka dot room, and this is the red and white polka dot room, and this is the, and it was just polka dot upon polka dot. And again, she's really nowhere to be seen. However, I kept sort of following on this like rabbit hole on the internet. And what I did come across was right around the time of this. M plus show, which also just occurred, are some pictures of, it's a picture of her along with, in a carousel, because it's on Instagram, a video of her. 
And in the picture of her, you can clearly see that we're dealing with a 93-year-old human being who there are physiological differences between a 35 or 65-year-old's brain and a 93-year-old's brain. So there's something cognitively different happening there. I'm not a doctor, but I also have common sense and can see that something is going on. And she's staring off into space, and she's clearly not present. Okay, so then I see this video in the carousel of this person not speaking English thanking Kusama for what I'm assuming is her future work or collaboration with the M Plus Museum on this show. And while this person is speaking and, you know, bowing and thanking her, she is staring off into space and kind of muttering something under her breath that's inaudible. And it's very scary because you realize that this person doesn't seem to have very much agency. And then, you know, I kept asking myself, why does this bother me? Why does this bother me? What is bothering me so much about this? And I think that this is what it is. It's not that it bothers me that Kusama is doing a collaboration with Louis Vuitton. Or anyone. Or anyone. It's not the the collaboration. It doesn't bother me that Kusama is doing a giant museum retrospective that does not bother me what whatsoever. What bothers me is that this woman is 93 years old. Her mental health has been in a questionable state for... Self-admittedly, right? Self-admittedly yeah. for well over 40 years. She And she's in a very old geriatric. And what we are watching is somebody being worked to death in public. She this is she is past the age of you know making appearances doing these kinds of things. It's t- it's time to allow her in my opinion her last month or years on this planet to have time for herself, not to be pushing her to eke out every last penny and cent that you can from this woman before she leaves this planet. And that is what is upsetting me so much about this. It's allow her some peace. Give her moments 
reprieve before she truly does step into infinity. So again, I have nothing against an artist making money. I have nothing against her having major global collaboration. You know, Jeff Koons has worked with these guys before. No. Like male artists all the time are doing Who collaboration. Cares? It's not no, the, yeah. that is not the argument. Right. The argument is she deserves to have those opportunities. It's a matter of dignity. It's a matter of human dignity. And at a certain age, my grandmother's 100 years old. She's turning, well, she's turning 100 in February. And she's still pretty sharp. She still plays bingo. She admits to me she cheats. It's really funny. I don't know how you cheat at bingo, but she admits she cheats. You know, she's like really like a character. She still has a sense of humor. She's amazing. She's like, full-fledged human being in every sense of the word but like the woman wears a diaper she is wheelchair bound she depends on so many medications to keep her alive and her preoccupations have slowly you know whittled down to things like what is for dinner when does she get to go get her new coloring books for the week? You know, and when are her daughters going to come visit her? And that's not because my grandmother lacked something cognitive. It's because naturally, when you get to be around the age of 100, your brain is functioning differently. Yeah. And we're watching... This happened to Kusama in public. And there is something about like giving her the privacy and the dignity to allow the end stages of her life to happen on her own terms, not paraded out to the very last moment. I mean, I can think of whether it's these fashion collaborations. Do you recall the I think it was botanical gardens in New York had these big sculpture gardens with her stuff. You know, speaking of Super Blue, we did a few weeks ago, like there was an installation, like a Kusama experience. And I remember seeing people on my timeline, my Instagram, that aren't people that were going there to take the photos because, and waiting for long lines just to get it to these infinity rooms. Retrospectives, public installations, geez, man, it's a lot, it's a lot of activity. I don't know how they're doing. I mean, I assume she has got, she's got the studio, which there's the Kusama Studio website out there. It's kind of a funny, it looks like a internet 1.0 style mm -hmm. website. She's obviously got the backing of David Warner, Ray Moreau. So she's got, you know, these big global things that can help coordinate such, but it is a prolific amount of activity happening in inter late eighties and nineties. We've seen just tons of big global projects. And also what about consent? I'm sorry. You know, you always hear these like things about like lawsuits that usually happen after people die. Where it's like the nurse or the housekeeper or somebody who like somehow convinced the like millionaire or the billionaire or whoever to like will over their life's fortune to them, you know. It's like the plot and then, drives out. Yeah. And then they and they usually end up getting taken to court and like you know, sued because, you know, 
there is like a consent thing that happens in reverse when you get older where you start losing certain faculties to make certain decisions, which is why having guardianship and people that are around you to like truly love you and truly protect you are so important. And it would appear from the outside that she's not being looked after. We we can only guess, right? Right. Yeah. I like I said, from the outside. We can't we don't know. She may have what I could tell outlined earlier. This wasn't something where she raised her hand, told her manager, hey, I want to work with a fashion brand on this thing. This came from the brand to her, which I'm sure a lot of these projects do. They come into the studio or they come into the galleries. And I have to imagine that she was pitched this by her managers when they heard it from LVMH. And, and she must have given the thumbs up, probably because she's worked with LVMH before and in fashion for decades. But it's a lot. It's a lot. And like you said, Oh, for what I imagine, she doesn't need any more money. God sake. I mean, this is not done for financial burdens. Yeah, all. somebody was like, you don't know, maybe she needs it for health care. For- look, Osama's I- paintings sell for millions of dollars in primary market. And, you know, everything she does, she touches, she turns to gold. And she's one of the highest selling, I think. I think she holds a record maybe for the, regardless, I don't want to get my facts wrong. So she's, you know, a very prominent seller of her own art and she's well to do. So I have to imagine. So then I think like, why do this project? I mean, did you saw some of the items, right? Are they, are they groundbreaking? Are they like aesthetically no. art objects? Now they're polka dot Louis Vuitton bags with literally colored polka dots on it, you know, which makes me think that I think I would speculate, but I would not, you know, put, die on this hill that I don't think this is something that she was like, I want to do this. This is a passion for me in 93. Let me get up and help design this stuff. I do feel like maybe there's an external force out there that was kind of driving this. I don't know who and I don't want to speculate, but please. The only sort of other conspiracy theory that I can throw into the mix. the canoe trafficking conspiracy theory is that. <laughs> yeah, which by the way, I heard this thing. Conspiracy theory is a bad term to use. Have you ever heard, have you heard this idea? Conspiracy theories are, are say, calling something a conspiracy theory is a bad term to use because what it is, it's a thought limiting phrase. Yeah. Because it's like you call someone that or conspiracy theorist and you're discrediting yeah, everything that comes exactly. up. Exactly. Right. So I try not to call things <laughs> conspiracy theories anymore. But that's one person in my comments said one thing where I was like, I kind of wanted to slap them. And then I was like, yeah, this goes in the pile of maybes because everything is a maybe. Kusama's not here. And I don't think that anybody's going to give us the truth about this. So we're just going to have to go with conjecture and ask ourselves what we would personally want. Would we, should we be in this situation one day? But Somebody in my comment section said, you know who is to blame for all of this? She's to blame for all of this. She has like a historically, I guess, according to this person, who I do not know, and I did not fact check this because it was literally right before we started recording. 
She has this reputation, allegedly, that precedes her of having an ego of epic proportions. Mm -hmm. So somebody was like, it's actually her fault because this is definitely what she either would have signed off on or did sign off on a long time ago, which would be AI robots that were trained to think and paint and look like her that are making her work into infinity. Yeah, that that's a major cornerstone idea of hers, the infinity. So yeah. maybe, uh, I mean, I don't think so. I still stand by. I think we're witnessing somebody essentially being worked to death in per- in public. But perhaps we are just defending somebody with a huge ego who is getting their dying wish, which is to have, you know, a, a I mean, for, forget about the robots. Some A couple people have been DMing me pictures, like literally in New York right now, the Saks Fifth Avenue building, mm-hmm. there's like a 200 foot portrait of Kusama on the side of the building. So like the woman, if she was humble three days ago, she's not humble today. I I was reading through the comments on your post, your your Kusama, and it it has really sparked some conversation. Yeah, somebody said it could be a whole book, just the comments. You have people on two sides of the spectrum. One side stating that and I see both sides, by the way, stating that she deserves she deserves the success and this praise. Male artists have been doing these brand partnerships for a long time. She's a, so accomplished and great artist and let her give her all the money is like literally a quote that someone wrote there. And then you have other people that are expressing some concerns that she's being led by handlers. This is a phrase that they're using and that you know, she's maybe just being roped into these things for other people's perhaps financial gains. And perhaps people are, you know, riding this elderly woman, you know, during her last few years on this planet. And because it's a safe artist that, you know, is essentially she is pop culture. Well, you, you can't we, argue with a polka dot. We, you can't argue with polka dot. I mean, Except... She, Maybe you can, because what were you saying when you looked on Louis Vuitton? Oh, yeah. So going over to Louis Vuitton's post, when they announced the campaign and they used an image of Bella Hadid with the bag, I was curious. So I read the comments and these people are trashing the pure aesthetics of it. They're like, this sucks. Like, this is just polka dots on a bag that are just going in on Louis Vuitton. I've even seen some fashion and art our blogs kind of review it as like, you know, not a good campaign for whatever that's worth. But, you know, it certainly has gotten people talking and perhaps it's a little bit of a stroke of genius marketing move, you know, that could actually lead to sales, which at the end of the day is what these guys care about. So, well, it could be like, you know, things that maybe people do in the art world where they uh, suddenly discover and begin to represent an artist in their late 90s. And get control of their estate before, right before they, whoops, pass away. And all of a sudden, all of their work is worth a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. But so it's an interesting one. I don't know. I don't, well, I'll just say this and then, I, and whatever else you got. But for me, it's, this has been conjecture. I want to say that we don't of know. Of course. We don't know. She could have been like, I want to do this. I love Vuitton. 
let's go get all my troops in line. Or it could be something else, but it, it is worth at least raising the question as to what went on here and you know what led to this campaign. I'm curious and I hope someone is, is really looking into it. So thanks everybody for listening. This has been episode nine of Arts Mac. Sorry for the little hiatus that we went on for the new year, but we're feeling rested, recovered, and ready to push this show even further in 2023. So as always, go to gogozine.com. Particularly t- pay attention to the merch because I don't know if you saw, but Jerry and I went live on, on the we website. We did Jerry's Home Shopping Jerry's Home Network. Shopping Network. We plugged all the cool merch that's available. I'm wearing one of the hoodies right now, the one that says smile. If you hate the art, and I got to say, it's one of the most comfortable things I've ever put on. So Wow, thank you. I sewed that myself. Yeah. Um, we got a special episode coming out next week. We're yeah, going to do an we, interview. Oh, tell them about it. Tell well, them about it. I want people to be slightly surprised. We got a great guest. It's going to be our first real interview show with you and I going out and meeting with him. We're super excited. We'll share more information later. In How can week, we but... describe this person without giving them away? He is a member of the New York Times. I mean, he, it... A member of the New York Times and one of the most important art critics writers that's living today so and writers that's living today yes yeah so look out for that episode it should be coming out next week mm-hmm. other than that anything else to plug on your end jerry speaking of gagosian.com i'm going to be writing something that will be coming out this week so make sure you're subscribed so that you get that because it's for our subscribers only and also i am working with a very talented person to completely, utterly, and devastatingly <laughs> cha- forever change gagosian.com and make it a place you actually want to hang out and be on the internet. Cool. I'll be letting you know when all those changes officially take place, but... There'll be more tiers, there'll be more options for you guys, and more opportunity for engagement on the site itself. So I'm really excited for it to come. All right, everybody. This has been Arts Mac. See you later. See you on the internet.